All right. Um, it's been a busy week. Uh, I don't know if it's been busy for anybody else, but I'll just tell you it's been busy. Um, the, but it's been a good week. Uh, it's been a week where over and over and over again, I got to watch God just move and, and do mighty things. You know, it's, it started Monday with the memorial service here. Uh, nothing more beautiful to a pastor than a full house. And I mean, this place was full. And it was full of people who came not only to, to remember and to honor Sister Ruby's life, but just to, to show their love for the Newby family. And um, many, many, many people that came to that funeral came, came up afterwards talking to me and, and expressing their love for the family and for our church. And, and they, they said over and over that, thank you for, for coming to this church. And, and they would say things like, thank you for reviving this church. And, and I, I stopped them every time. And I said, I want you to understand, it's the people of this church seeking after God and loving each other that's revived the church. God did the revival. I'm just, I've said it and I'll keep saying it. I'm a step above Balaam's donkey. And if I'm ever more than that, then God's going to humble me out and get me out of the way. Because I have done nothing personally to go and invite people into our church. The people that have come into our church is because of the people of our church loving on people. And, and allowing us to, at times, probably really mess up. I'll just be real. I, I don't know enough of the history and the traditions of the, the Quaker slash Friends movement to be a good Quaker. I'll just tell you, I'm probably not a good Quaker. But I'm a really bad apostolic, too. <laughs> you know, and I, I'm probably a really terrible Baptist. And, and I am definitely not methodical enough to be a Methodist. Um, I, I probably only get the, the very basic tenets of the Lutheran church, right? That if you can't convince me by scripture, I'm not going to believe it. And, and in the middle of that, we, we watch God. And I, I just, I've told Denise this over and over. It's like God's growing our church and we're not doing anything to cause it. It's so amazing to watch God work because he, he's, he's the only one that can bring things to life. He's the only one that can create and can build. If we did it in our own, it wouldn't be about him, and it would be utterly worthless. So thank you for being who God called you to be. I, I, I don't say it to you enough, probably. Thank you for being who God made you to be. Being authentically you is what's going to reach people with the gospel. Because if God can take you as you are and, and wash you of your sins and make you a new creature, you can go reach people out of your struggle. And, and I, can't, I can't go preach at a women's conference because I don't know what it is to be a woman. Praise God. 
I mean, that, that's the reality. Could I preach there? Yes, but would I be as effective as a mighty woman of God going and preaching about womanhood? I've said it before. I would not be very good at receiving how to be a man from a woman trying to tell me. I, I, I know on Mother's Day, a lot of times, I, I don't talk a lot about the process of giving birth because I've been there and I still... I can't speak from experience on what it's like to go through it. So why would I try and tell mothers what that's like? But, but as we were getting ready this morning, it was, it was real tempting just to jump in and, and share some of what I got at camp meeting. And, and God said, that's for another time. Because uh, the message is very simple this morning, and it comes from Philippians chapter 3. If you have your Bibles, you can turn there. Uh, if not, I, I understand we're in the generation that's more attracted to the screen, which is, I'm learning, okay? I, I'm learning that when, when it comes time to reach this generation that's coming up, we have to go meet them where they are. And a lot of them are in front of the screen. And, oh, that hurts me. I, when I'm sitting down to really study and, and to spend time in the Word of God, I love the, the therapy of physically turning pages. It, it's therapeutic to me. I don't buy a lot of other books online. My digital Bibles are for so that I don't have to lug my big, my big go to church Bible with me everywhere. And if I ran into Jim on the street and he had a question for me about the Bible, I could pull out one of those 26 digital ones and we could get there real quick. Or you know, one of those 26 digital ones has uh, a Hebrew and Greek concordance right there with it. So I can look and see what the original text said, not what somebody translated. And, and those are great tools, but this generation, if it's not on a screen, they may not care. And I, and I don't say that to insult them. Because we were different. And, and I'm not saying we're old yet. Jeff, Jim, Kathy, Scott, we're not old yet. Stephanie, you're not old yet. And, and if I didn't name you, you're not old yet either. Okay, let me tell you when you're old. You get to be old like... Uh, Five minutes before Jesus takes you to glory, you can call yourself old. Okay, because you, you might know when it's coming, you might not. So you can be old then the rest of the time. And I could really preach that because you don't get to retire. At age 85 is when Caleb tells Joshua in the Old Testament, I want my inheritance. It's in those hills. And I want it that set of hills because that's where there's giants still. At 85, he wanted to go fight giants. That's a free one. We'll come back to that another day. But Philippians 3, verses 1 through 3, righteousness through faith in Christ is how this is labeled. Finally, my brothers, rejoice in the Lord. And we could close right there and go home, right? Rejoice in the Lord. To write. <clears throat> Finally, my brothers, rejoice in the Lord. To write the same thing to you is no trouble to me and is safe for you. Look out for the dogs. Look out for the dogs. That, that is 
great sound biblical advice in every arena of your life. Okay, especially you people that like to get up and go running and walking early in the morning, look out for the dogs. Okay, in business, look out for the dogs. And what you consume entertainment-wise, look out for the dogs. And this is not even the message. This is just something that stuck out today. Look out for the evildoers. Look out for those who mutilate the flesh. And I want you to understand that term right there, when Paul is writing it, he is not talking about just evil occultic people. At this point, there were people who were still forcing the, the, any convert that came into the church had to be circumcised. And, and that, as an adult man, I'm glad that that's not a thing in the church, you know, because that was a small baby thing for me, and I don't remember any of it. That, whew, those are still some of the most traumatic parts of the Bible for me to read is when they did that to adult men. Whew. Oh, okay, anyways, side rail. <laughs> For we are the circumcision who worship by the Spirit of God and glory in Christ Jesus and put no confidence in the flesh. Okay, that, that is the, the term the circumcision there was a, a term that was used in this day to separate people who were of Hebrew blood from the Gentiles. There, there was still this labeling going on in the church and Paul is trying to tell the church at Philippi get rid of that we're all the same because of the spirit of God and the glory of Christ Jesus and put no confidence in the flesh though I myself have reason for confidence in the flesh also if any man thinks he has reason for confidence in the flesh I have more circumcised on the eighth day of the people of Israel, of the tribe of Benjamin, a Hebrew of Hebrews, as to the law, a Pharisee, as to zeal, the persecutor of the church, as to righteousness under the law, blameless. Okay, Sunday school people, we talked about the law and how strict and how difficult it was. And Paul said, according to the law, he still lived blamelessly. Okay, think of all those weird things we talked about in the law, and Paul was able to keep every one of them. And Paul references here his level of education. That, hey, I'm, I'm just that much smarter in the word of the law than you. Anybody ever deal with those people? I, I've studied the Bible a lot, but I'm still not going to tell you that that I'm anywhere near the level of knowing the word of God like Paul knew the Old Testament law. And, and to give you a, a brief insight into that, to be even considered for, for being able to uh, sit on the, the Sanhedrin, you had to have the books of the law memorized. Completely memorized, where you could not only quote them, but you could write them. Those were two of the requirements of the Sanhedrin. And the, the Pharisee group... There, there were sects of the Pharisees that were so proud of their ability in the law, they could quote it backwards. I can't think of very many documents I know in history that we had to memorize things back when we were in school. You know, there, there's people in the room that can tell you, can probably still quote the Gettysburg Address to you. 
Okay, I, I still teach history, so I get to cheat on that one. You know, <clears throat> everyone in the room can quote the ABCs. That's one of the first things you learn to memorize. Uh, a few people in the room will take pride in they can quote the ABCs backwards. And, you know, you, you can play those brain games on your own. Don't let it distract you this morning. But Paul understood that he had all this knowledge and all this, this head knowledge. And he took it a step farther. And, and he reminds the church at Philippi, don't forget who I was. Not only did I know this, that I was the Hebrew of Hebrews as to the law of Pharisee, but in my zeal, in my zealousness of my youth, I persecuted the church. I went after these followers of Jesus when I didn't follow him and persecuted them. And I put it up on Facebook yesterday. I found this great quote that the, the beauty of Christianity is the, the guy who persecuted the church, who had many of them put in prison, many of them killed, walked into heaven to be celebrated by the people he had martyred. That's who Paul was because Stephen, as he was dying, Paul's over there holding the coats of the men stoning him. And Stephen says, God, don't hold this against them. Don't make this a testimony against those men because they don't know what they're doing. You don't think that, that Paul to his dying day could not remember Stephen being stoned to death in front of him? And I, I can almost tell you with assurity when Paul walked into heaven, Stephen's the first guy to give him a hug. That's the beauty and the life-changing power of the gospel. The, the people who were... And when we get to the reality of it, we're all in that same boat. We were the enemy of God. And when we accepted salvation through Jesus Christ, we became his child. Not just his friend, but his child who he deeply loves. And, and I want you to understand the world has kind of thrown this lie that's seeping into the church that we're all children of God. No, you're not. If you don't have Jesus as your Lord and Savior, you're not a child of God. The Bible's very clear. You're a child of darkness which is a tragedy because you're a child of darkness who was made in the image of God, but until you accept Jesus, you don't become a child of God. Don't let that little false doctrine creep into you because you're not called to treat the unbeliever as a fellow child of God. You're called to treat them as someone you're rescuing from the very fires of hell. Do you know why they call this a pulpit? Because preachers, when they originally built this piece of furniture, they said this was to symbolize them pulling people from the pit of hell. Learn something new. Man, what I, what I want to know is, you know, I, it almost puts my weird brain in a gear of what do other pieces of furniture in the church mean? Do they call them pews because... Everyone who sits out there stinks. <laughs> no, no, I'm just, I don't know why we call them pews. I just learned the, the pulpit. I know what the altar is named for. And praise God, we still have an altar. But Paul, under the righteousness of the law, would still be considered blameless in the eyes of 
the hypocritical church. But Paul goes on and he says, but whatever gain I had, I count as loss for the sake of Christ. All of these titles, all of this stuff that I had, I shove it to the side and consider it a loss for the sake of Christ. Indeed, I count everything as loss because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus, my Lord. For his sake, I have suffered the loss of all things and count them as rubbish in order that I may gain Christ. I want you to understand that a Pharisee of Paul's stature, just by the basis of his education, was a wealthy individual. Paul was probably of the, of the apostles, let's throw that phrase on there, probably the wealthiest of all of them. Even though Matthew was a tax collector, could have had potential to be very wealthy, uh, I don't think that he was. Um, Luke was a physician, a chance to be very wealthy, but none of those guys in the culture, the Hebrew culture of the day, would have had the opportunity to rise in economic wealth like Paul would have. And, and I can take you through scriptural evidence to back that up. It's not fact. I, we, we have circumstantial evidence. So you get to judge for yourself. But, but Paul has all of that stuff, and he says, I got rid of it. I put the title aside. I put the authority of that title aside. I put, and Paul would actually do a lot of work which he had skills which we have to go through acts to find that but because he never wanted to be a burden on the church and he counted them all as rubbish all of his game was just like trash so that he could gain christ and be found in him not having a righteousness of my own that comes from the law, but that which comes through faith in Christ, the righteousness from God that depends on faith, that I may know him and the power of his resurrection, and I may share in his sufferings, becoming like him in his death, that by any means possible I may attain the resurrection of the dead. He said, whatever it takes, whatever it takes for me at this point, I want to be like Jesus. Man, you're going to talk about a powerful mindset. And, and he says, not that I've already attained this or I'm already perfect, but I press on to make it my own because Christ Jesus has made me his own. Brothers, I do not consider that I have made it my own, but one thing I do, forgetting what lies behind and straining toward, straining forward to what lies ahead. Toward is the King James, sorry. Straining forward to what lies ahead, I press on toward the goal of the prize of the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. And I want you to understand that word press is often translated, I strain. Anybody lift weights? I mean, really lift weights where you strain to lift it? As we get older, you know, it becomes more of a strain to do common things. You know, you, you can throw your back out sneezing. You can throw your back out opening the car door, and it's not much strain, but it gets you. Uh, 
you know, spiritually, I think a lot of us have gotten to the point where a sneeze or opening the car door will throw our back out. That's a free one. We'll keep moving. Um, but the question this led me to is, what am I holding on to that's keeping me from moving forward? What, what have I, and the way that God put this picture in my head, what have I anchored myself to other than Jesus that's keeping me from just sharing his love with somebody, sharing the love of the gospel? I don't have to be a biblical scholar to love people. What's holding me back from doing that? What's keeping me from moving forward? What, what's keeping us as a church from even moving forward? You know, are there things that we do that maybe we need to look at and say, well, maybe we should try and do something more or do something different? Because here's the nature of fishing, and I watched The Chosen, like episode four and five last night, forgive me, but where Jesus was talking to Peter and he said, from now on, you'll fish for men. And as a fisherman, if they're not hitting the bait that I'm throwing out there, I don't change the hook. And the hook of the gospel is the undeniable truth that Jesus died on the cross for our sins. But I may have to change the bait, the way that, the way that I go about sharing that story. What's keeping me from moving forward? And if you start with Jesus as your foundation, I want you to understand that this was the picture, the second picture that God put in my mind was Jesus is our foundation. And a lot of times the enemy tries to junk up the building site. Have you ever been to a construction site where they weren't really well organized? And I mean, you, it's an OSHA nightmare because they're stepping over stuff that is in the way. I think a lot of times we've allowed things to get thrown on this on this building site that God has given us to build on the foundation of Jesus Christ that we get to tripping over stuff that is supposed to already be put into the framework and get it out of the way. Uh, another visualization of this was we, we keep carrying bricks that we're supposed to be putting into the ground to pave the road for someone behind us. Why are we carrying all this stuff and, and doing the same thing over and over and over instead of put that brick down and move on to the next thing. Put that stud in the wall and move on to the sheetrock. Put that tack in the fence and, and let's go get the cows. The stuff the enemy tries to weigh us down with, if we're really anchored in Jesus Christ, we can look at it as just material to build on. And the, the best way I can phrase this to you is the stuff you struggled with and God set you free is your platform to share the gospel. That, that's, I can't paint that picture any better. I mean, it's, it's amazing when you look at the word of God, how simple it can be. How do we keep moving forward when everything around us keeps going backwards or the better term from Sunday school is just going nuts. I mean, the world around us is going crazy. How do we, as the church, keep moving forward? And, and it's found here in Scripture. The first thing is rejoice in the Lord always. Again, I will say rejoice. 
let your reasonableness be known to everyone. Okay, the, the way I would phrase that is don't be so heavenly minded you're no earthly good. The, for a long time when I was a kid, all the church talked about was heaven, 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 heaven. And, and I didn't get it because I'm down here struggling in hell on earth and they're talking about heaven. You know, come meet me where I'm at and show me that Jesus said there will be hard times, there will be struggle, and, and let the church be real again to where we're honest and open with each other and we say, man, I'm struggling. I'm hurting. I'm sad. I'm confused. I'm stressed. I mean, throw in your I am and be real about where you're at. Let your reasonableness be known to everyone. I get mad. I get mad. Do you ever get mad, Jeff? I get mad. Okay? We as the church need to start talking about these unmentionable things so that we can help each other. We can, and here's the church term for that, we can disciple each other. I don't care if you've been a Christian five seconds or 50 years, you can disciple somebody. I can learn from a new Christian, praise God. And I can learn from people who have, have been in the faith two of my lifetimes. Because the Spirit of God will teach if you're willing to learn. Let your reasonableness be known to everyone. The Lord is at hand. Do not be anxious about anything. But in everything by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving, let your request be no made known to God and the peace of God which surpasses all understanding will guard your hearts and minds in Christ Jesus. How do we keep moving forward? Be reasonable. Be people of prayer. And how do we pray? First, we don't go to prayer with, with just anxiousness. We ask God to take that away. Step into the presence of God and there's peace beyond understanding. It's promised to you. But in everything by prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, let your request be made known to God. I love that when we do that, there's a peace that follows. And, and as we talked about last week, that, that God... When you're seeking after Him, He leads you. And that is over and over and over shown in Scripture. In the Old Testament, we had the, as Denise talked about in choir, the, the cloud by day and the pillar of fire by night. In the New Testament, we get to see Paul talking about visions and dreams. And, and even at one point, God sent an angel to stand next to Paul as, his, as the boat he's on is going through a shipwreck. And, and Paul references, he says, the angel of the Lord stood by me this night. What a beautiful thing that God will put direction into our life if we're diligently seeking Him. And where the Spirit of the Lord is, there's peace. He's not the author of confusion. The Bible's very clear about that. Jesus is the Prince of Peace. 
the prince of the power of the air, the author of confusion, is the devil. If you're feeling confused, just pray. I'm not saying you're going to get the answer, but you're going to get peace. The Word of God promises peace. And I like making decisions in peace. I don't know about you. I, I don't like being forced to make a decision in a time of turmoil because I usually guess wrong. That's why I hated taking tests. I still don't like taking tests. Don't give me tests. So this morning as we wrap this up, ask yourself, God, are there places in my life where I'm just stuck instead of moving forward? Am I too caught up looking back and not necessarily looking back at bad things? You know, the, the example that came to mind is, is I was going to ask Kate how, how much Jeff and I's state championship in basketball helped her play basketball this weekend with her travel team. Because she's, she's looking at me like so confused, like that doesn't even make sense. And, and I'll agree with you, it doesn't even make sense. Uh, and then I was going to ask Jeff this question that I asked myself, and I couldn't answer it, Jeff, so maybe you can answer for you. But when's the last time you even put on that state ring? I mean, you know, I, if I live in 1997 state championship, what am I missing in 2022? But there, there's, there's places in the church and there's people in the church that are living on their experience with God 20 years ago or the methodology of sharing the gospel from 20 years ago instead of moving forward and reaching this generation with the unchanging truth of Jesus Christ. So what, what are you looking back to instead of looking forward? Heavenly Father, thank You for today. Lord, 